0: Be seated. Gratitude. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not some nostalgic or wistful memory of what has been or some nebulous hope of what might be. It's not a fair weather friend that draws close to you in the summer and then abandons you in the winter. It's not dependent on circumstances or only for warm, fuzzy moments. Gratitude, after all, is a choice. An act of the will where we place ourselves completely in God's will, no matter what happens. A determination to hope in the Lord in the midst of both happiness and sorrow. To give thanks for the good things He has given and the good things He has taken away an inexpressible confidence in his love, an inexplicable peace in his will. It turns pain into joy, trial into triumph, sorrow into sanctity, and suffering into redemption. Gratitude gives thanks to God not because things are good, but because he is good. In gratitude, our wills become one with God's so that we bless him for the life he has given us and long for the day when he calls us home. Not my will, but yours be done. And so for all the good things that are to come and all the heartaches too, O Lord, we give you thanks.
1: And so always good to see you, church family. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, truly you've given us so much to be thankful for. And on the other side of the cross, that's really all that we can give you, is our praise and our thanks. And so let our hearts be attentive in this moment to hear your voice with joy and with gladness. Let us remember that what we put into something is so often what we get out of it, and help us to hear your word with joy. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is the week that we gather for Thanksgiving, and it'll just be a moment in time before you're sitting with your family or your friends and eating turkey and stuffing, which is my favorite, and potatoes. And you might even have the question, the go-around, which is, what are you thankful for? I'm just curious, how many families, when you gather, are going to ask that question, the go-around, what are you thankful for? It's a pretty fun practice. I, I remember um, being uh, uh, in my brother-in-law's uh, household, and, um, and, and they made a big deal of it. Um, it usually lasts like most of the afternoon. There were a lot of tears, a lot of crying over all the things, the husband crying over the wife, the wife crying over the kids, the kids crying over their pets. It was amazing. But if I were to ask you, what are you thankful for? what's your answer? Give you a chance to do your homework now. Well, if you don't have one, I wanted to give you one this morning. You can sound uh, really, really smart and intellectual and Christian. Um, I think a great answer comes from our psalm this morning. Uh, This could be your canned response. Are you ready for it? What am I thankful for? I'm thankful because the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Isn't that a good one to say? I could just see it rolling off your tongue this year. would be like, yeah, wow. In fact, it's so good. Can we say this together? Uh, just say this with me. Are you ready? The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Oh, yeah, what a good response. Now, now what, is, what comes to mind when you think of that? Well, uh, maybe you're thinking old li- language, uh, yeah. But maybe you're thinking of the, the boundary lines of your house, and you're like, oh, man, this is a, this is a nice house. Maybe you're thinking the boundary lines of your friends and family, and you're like, oh, man, I have some good family and friends. Uh, maybe it's the food and, and the boundary lines of the Thanksgiving table and all that you're going to see. Um, maybe it's, it's your friend group, where you work. So many things that could come to mind this Thanksgiving. But what I, I recognize is that um, so often we are not filled with thanks. In fact, that's one of the spiritual dangers of our lifestyle is that Uh, we end up grumbling and complaining instead of showing thanks. I remember a story that involved Jesus about this, and um, it had to do with 10 lepers. Maybe some of you know this story. So a little bit about the context. Leprosy back in that day meant that you would probably die from it. It was also such a contagious disease that you had to live in a leper colony away from your family, away from your friends. You couldn't work. And so Jesus came upon 10 lepers who asked for healing, And sure enough, they were healed. But out of all the ten that were healed, does anyone remember how many came back to give thanks? Just one. Now, ten percent, that's not really a good percent when it comes to thanksgiving. And Jesus even had a reaction to this. Jesus said this. He said, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus talking about this kind of reminds me of parents teaching their kids manners. Do you ever remember sitting and receiving something and your kid is right there and you say, Now what do you say? And you're sure hoping that it comes out with the right tone. Like, please don't give them a dead face. They're being really nice to you, right? And you're sure hoping that it's no longer like a four-year-old, like they've they've grown up into teenagers knowing what to say. Like, hopefully you're not telling an 18-year-old, now what do you say, right? But it's hard. Because it's so much easier to complain than to give thanks. It's so much easier to focus on what I don't have than what I do have, right? And so the words of the first lesson, they struck my heart, and maybe they struck yours. First Thessalonians 5.18, and, and he said, give thanks in all circumstances. And I'm going to be transparent, I struggle with this, friends. Like, I'm pretty good at some circumstances. Like, like this past week's weather, oh, was I thanking God. <laughs> yes, give me the sun, right? That's pretty easy. When I'm feeling healthy or I had a good night's sleep, oh man, especially now as a, a kind of older person, uh, getting a good night's sleep is, is uh, wow, thank you, Lord. That was awesome. But I got to tell you, when the two weeks of gray come and I'm on that second week in the middle on Wednesday, all circumstances, when, when my body doesn't feel good, when things aren't really going my way, all sir, ah, I struggle. I don't know about you guys. So today we're going to be called up a little bit. Today we're reminded that gratitude isn't just about a week or a day or a month. No, gratitude is the whole lifestyle of a Christian, and, and we have some reasons to give thanks in all circumstances. You know, I, I love a quote by a G, G.K. Chesterton. And when it came to gratitude, he said this. He said, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. And maybe uh, you've been in the practice or someone told you at one point or another to keep a gratitude or thanks journal. Isn't that a really good practice? And maybe even go back to it and be like, oh, on that day that happened, I almost forgot about that. That was amazing, right? Because the reality is God gives us grace in every new day. There's grace in this season, regardless of circumstances. There's grace for you now. Now, psychologists would say that gratitude is really helpful. It might even help us fend off depression if we keep and choose gratitude every day. But better than that, giving God glory. Think of the cross of Jesus. When Jesus dies, he accomplishes everything for our salvation. All our sins are paid for. When Jesus rises, he seals that victory in our hearts. And so, what can we actually give back to God if we can't contribute to salvation? The answer is gratitude. Thanksgiving. That's all a believer can offer to God. I can't pay for salvation. I can't really give back to you. And so, it's good for us to focus on this. But I want to challenge you. Are you ready? So wherever you're at today, I'm going to be like a coach, and that's often what a pastor is. Wherever level of gratitude you're at, I'm going to try to call you up, and I'm going to do it through this question. I'm going to ask this question, are we thankful for the right things? And some of you might say, well, pastor, just being thankful for something is, is all the work in it. Like, you know, what are you talking about, thankful for the right things? What I'm talking about is as you gather for Thanksgiving and God hears your heart, is there something more than thanking Him for potatoes? Is there something higher than your pet? Is there something better than just that the sun was shining? Are you thankful for the right things? And today, as we try to get called up, I want to focus a little bit more on not just thanking God for earthly blessings and when the sun is shining, but thanking God for spiritual blessings. Because if we're thankful for those, we can truly give thanks in all circumstances. So let's learn from David, who sets our sights a little bit higher. We're in Psalm 16 today, and he gave us that line about the boundary lines that have fallen in pleasant places. Uh, Let's just stand as we hear God's word this morning. Um, It's on the screen for you. There David says, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. These are the words we get to pick apart. Before you sit down, can you turn to your neighbor and say, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. A little bit early. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. One of the great opportunities in our country is for higher learning and education. And I wanted you to think a little bit about your desire if you have a young one. Uh, Right now we have a senior in high school who's getting a lot of college mail. In fact, we get so much college mail, I have a theory that part of the reason tuition is so high or colleges are going bankrupt is because they send out free t-shirts, brochures weekly, and maps of certain things. But, but as we're in that mainframe, just imagine if, if you or your child got a full ride to an elite school. I don't know what comes to mind when you think elite school. Uh, maybe it's a Harvard, uh, you got the letter in the mail that says, full scholarship, you're on your way. Be a sense of privilege, right? Maybe you're past the high school point. Let's say you're in a field and you get a chance to have one-on-one coaching from the guru in your field. That if you were an investor, you get to have an audience for the next year with Warren Buffett. And He's going to uh, tell you what he's learned along the way. Let's say you were in technology, and you could talk to Bill Gates one-on-one for the next year. Let's say you were an inventor, and you get to talk to Elon Musk for the next year. How would you feel? be pretty amazing, wouldn't it be? And maybe there are people right now that think, man, if I had the opportunity to learn this or that, that would be incredible. I bring this up because when David thinks about blessings in his life, He thinks about the learning opportunities he has. And in the next verse he says this, he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me, even at night my heart instructs me. So David has learned to love not teaching from Harvard, not teaching from Elon Musk or a business guru. He's learned to love hearing from the Lord. I want to dwell there just a little bit. In fact, if you're taking notes, here's a fill-in that the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places because we have the instruction of God's Word. Now, what I realize is it's easy to take this for granted. You ever have a good cook in the household? Isn't it easy to take for granted someone who cooks a, a good meal regularly and not actually say thank you? Aha! I don't know what new point I have. Laughter As my brother Pastor Jeff would say, this is live, folks. (laughs) Um, And and so maybe it's, it's, it's common to take for granted when someone is consistently kind or a good meal maker. I think what is so common for us is to be around the Word so often that we take for granted all that we've learned along the way. Especially if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. For consider just like one area that God teaches us that we probably have knowledge of. I was considering the area of friendship. And I was considering this because in December we have a Bible class. It will be all about Christian friendship. And I was thinking of just some of the lessons I've learned just because I have God's Word in front of me. In the book of Proverbs, it says this, that a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. And so what I've realized about being a good friend and striving to be one is, it's not just about when times are good. It's not just when you're rejoicing or they win. It's being there when times are bad. And even if your fe- friend fell flat on their face, you're going to pick them up and say, I- I'm still here. I'm on the team. That's so important for friendship. W- what else do we learn about friendship? An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. <laughs> uh, an- another author called this candor. Uh, it's good to, to be honest. And-, and think of the opportunity to walk with people close enough that they can expose blind spots in your life. And think of the courage it takes if you ever had a friend who kind of risks the relationship because you need to hear something. And you probably don't even know what you're doing, but you need to hear it. Uh, What's another one? It goes on about friendship. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way the wicked leads them astray. On this stage, we've said more than a few times that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And so, as we think about the influence of others, how good it is for us to choose Christians, choose Christian community, choose good influences in our life. Now, this is just the area of friendship that that could be its own book through these three principles. But here's what I know is in this building. In this building are Christians who know the blueprint of marriage. I'm confident of it. They know God's word, what his design was, how it works best. Wow, what a privilege. In this room are Christians who know how to handle money, know what God said about the gifts he gave, know what God said about trusting in him in all things. In this room are Christians who know how to raise kids with love and with discipline and passing on the faith. In this room are Christians who know what worship is all about. In this room is so much knowledge about God, and I got to remind you, don't take that for granted. You have been taught and instructed by the author of life who will continue to guide you, who is like a light in a dark world guiding your path. What a privilege. I was considering this as I, I was reminded of the natural knowledge of God. I I told you what people can know apart from the church, apart from God's revealed word. All they know is that God exists and God is mad at them. What a horrible existence. And maybe right now you think of those who who don't know the Lord, don't know Jesus. Do you have someone like that? Do you have a friend or a neighbor or a family member? And right now they're probably thinking they better be a good person. Isn't that true? Right now, they're probably striving and struggling and ending the day with the same guilt and shame maybe you've experienced along the way because they know they haven't been good enough. And we have an answer. Wow. Or, or then I think of learning about other religions. Have you ever learned of other religions? I'll never forget going to Cancun and going to Chichen Itza. So as I bring this up, um, I, was, I was learning about the, the Mayan religion in Chichen Itza and, um, and just a little bit about it, and, and this is, again, a religious system. They think that incestual relationships are actually good. And they think that if your babies are born and because of the incest they're born with some mental deficiencies, that they're more holy or godly. We went to a cliff there where they were known to have child sacrifice. We went to a field where they played a game that looked like soccer, but the hoop was a little bit higher. And if you won that game, the winner's prize, you were put to death. And you were put to death so you could play the gods of the underworld. And if you beat the gods of the underworld, then you'd be reincarnated as a jaguar. Now, I don't know where along the way that this struck you as not really a good system, but but for me, it was pretty clear. I'm glad to be in Christ, friends. I read the Old Testament and think of the other religions of that day. The duel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And what were the prophets of Baal doing? Cutting themselves. This is how I appease God. I'll offer my blood. He warned about child sacrifice to Molech. And then all the unclean practices when it came to fertility gods and things of that matter that I won't get into. And I look at our revelation and how wonderful it is that we know Jesus. You know, David, he said in verse 4, he reminded us about God's: Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. And maybe we can even remember this as, as we were caught up in a season where we were running not to God but from God. And we thought that running away from God would be true satisfaction and and if I sowed my wild oats, then then I'd truly feel good and have joy and, and I'd feel successful. No, we suffer more and more. Or maybe it's just the, the times that we sin. When we choose to do things apart from God's will and we're thinking that, no, I'm going to be happier if I do this. It'll go better if I do this. And yet David reminds us, no, 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 we suffer more and more. Because the reality of the boundary lines that have fallen in pleasant places They're in pleasant places because of our next fill in. They're in pleasant places because we know Jesus. Think of all that we know because we know Jesus. Knowing Jesus means knowing forgiveness. There's nothing you or I can't do that the blood of Jesus won't atone for. I need that, friends. Do you? Knowing Jesus means I have a protector. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life right now. God will provide for me. He will sustain me until he'd rather just see me face to face. Knowing Jesus means I know victory. It doesn't matter the chapter of our story right now. We know how the story ends. We live in victory. Knowing Jesus means everything. And that's why we're on a mission to reach the lost with the love of Christ because we want all to have the joy and the peace and the eternal hope that is ours in this place. But there's more that we can learn as we talk about knowing Jesus and and more that gives us peace. And um, it was a couple years ago that uh, a lot of people were making doomsday bunkers. Do you know any doomsday planners? So in 2022, I was doing some research. Most people thought, like, the end is near. Um, And so some of the elite were buying uh, fields in New Zealand and, and making structures that, that look like this. And um, that must be a lot of money. This reminds me of X-Men and Professor X and, like, all underneath. But um, Maybe you know someone who has, like, a, a closet filled with the next three months' supply. Maybe you know someone who moved to a farm so that if the economy tanks and there's no food, they at least can make their own. Do you know what I'm talking about? And while I'm not against planning... Even if I have this and the world is going to be destroyed, am I going to be entitled to peace? No. No. Knowing Jesus means knowing power past any threat, past any pain. And I love how David put it in, in the next verse we will consider. He said, I will keep my eyes always on the Lord and with him at my right hand I will not be shaken. And as Christians, we know we're not shaken, not because of the size of our house or the security of some doomsday shelter or the size of our bank account. We're confident that we won't be shaken because we're held in the palm of God's hand. And that's you, and that's me. And so it doesn't matter what will come. In fact, for David, he was always under attack. He was the warrior king. And you know how David died? Of good old age. Because as the Lord held him, he was not shaken. And so our next fill The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places because we will not be shaken. This week I was praying that that we would have this feeling more and more. Because I really think that with a growing faith means that we would have more confidence and more peace. You know, I, I love a, a quote by by Charles Spurgeon um, if you want to pull that quote up I know it was a slide before uh, he said earth has no words that can convey the holy calm of a soul leaning on Jesus and I'm just wondering would anyone else like a, a greater degree of calm a greater security and a confidence I was dreaming big on this when it came to uh, the storm on the sea and Jesus in the boat do you remember the story So as we consider that storm on the sea, a lot of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. Fishermen know the difference between, like, gentle waves and something that's going to kill them. And they turned to Jesus and they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And some of you know what Jesus was doing. He was sleeping. Now, why was Jesus sleeping? He was not sleeping because he didn't care about his disciples. He was not sleeping because he knew he was going to die, and he's like, well, here's my hour. Who cares? He was sleeping because he's the ruler of wind and wave. He was not surprised. And in a moment, he got up, and you know the story. He said, quiet, be still, and the wind and the waves, they obeyed. What if we, by the power of the Holy Spirit... Seeking God, knowing God. What if we, as the storms rage, because we're either in a storm, approaching a storm, or coming out of a storm, what if we, in all circumstances, could have a confidence that would give us rest and peace? That's my prayer for you. We have the same Jesus, ruler of wind and wave. And what that means is, yes, the storms are howling, aren't they? And there is wind, and it seems like the boat might be torn apart, but yet we have the God, the maker of heaven and earth on our side. We have the right to calm and peace. Hallelujah. One final idea uh, came from this past week. This past week, I was invited to my children's school. It's called Luther Prep in Watertown, Wisconsin, and they train you for uh, being a pastor or a teacher to consider full-time ministry. And a big day in their, their whole year is called Ministry Day where they emphasize, you know, the, the beauty of being in ministry. Uh, so they actually asked me to present and I got to try to encourage people to consider being pastors and teachers. Uh, I did a day in the life of a pastor. And um, I was telling them about all the good things, you know, living in Chicago and going to Wrigley Field. Um, but, but most of all, I, I told them about the perspective that keeps me going. I did not bury the lead, and the first slide I had that day was this. I had them imagine this moment when they're meeting Jesus. And I asked them the question, in that moment, what will not matter that seems to matter now? Let me give you an answer to some of the things that don't matter in this moment. It doesn't matter if the turkey Thanksgiving was good this week. It doesn't matter the state of Bears football and if Justin Fields is the answer. It doesn't matter if you went to the Taylor Swift concert or the movie or whether you go to the one in Paris. It doesn't matter your wardrobe. It doesn't matter your golf game. It doesn't matter the car you drive. It doesn't matter the house you live in. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. What will matter in that moment? That you fought the good fight and you won the race that you knew Jesus. What will matter in this moment is that we told others about him, that we were on a mission to reach the lost with the love of Christ, and and maybe that we stored up eternal treasures rather than just earthly ones. That's going to matter. And so David talks about this in the psalm. And David calls us higher this Thanksgiving. Don't just focus on earthly things. Put your sights higher. And in the next verse he said this. He said, You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In the New Testament, it says, set your your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And that's what David is doing. And that's what we need to do to be grateful now. And so our next fill-in, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places because we have an eternal inheritance that will not spoil or fade or be taken away. It's sealed by the Spirit And if you were to have a next step this week, if you were going to apply this message, it's to thank God for spiritual blessings. Call yourself higher. It's okay to be thankful for your cat, but also be thankful for Jesus Christ. Be thankful for forgiveness, for eternal joys. And how do we know this is all ours? How can I stand up here confident that we have the right for peace, and that we're instructed in a wise way, that we have salvation? It's because of what's found in the psalm. See, this psalm is a messianic psalm. We find Jesus in this psalm. In verse 11, um, we have a prophecy. It says, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. And what's interesting is as David writes this, he doesn't write it about himself. He even wonder, does David know why he's writing this? But he's prophesying. And later in the New Testament, Peter would actually explain this verse. On Pentecost, Peter would reference this verse when he said, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. And maybe when he was speaking, they could all be like, yep, we know where David's tomb is, there are the bones. But he was a prophet, and knew God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. You know, when you go to Israel, you can go to the church of the sepulchre, you can go to the garden tomb, and you won't find the bones of Jesus. At the garden tomb, you'll just see a sign, he is not here, he is risen. And what does this all mean? It means we have confidence in the spiritual blessings I was talking about. These are ours now and forever. And so this Thanksgiving, be thankful. Choose gratitude. Choose gratitude even if the turkey doesn't turn out well and it's dry. Choose gratitude even if your family is a little bit dysfunctional and more dysfunctional this year than last year. Choose gratitude if the Christmas lights you brought out don't work anymore and you've got to bring out new ones. But choose gratitude even if things go perfectly and the meal is spectacular. Choose gratitude if your family is awesome and no one's fighting. Choose gratitude if the decorations never look so good. But don't choose it for all those things. Choose it because you know Jesus. And he has saved you. And you have spiritual blessings that will never be taken away. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, we have the opportunity to um, confess a common faith. Um, Why don't we stand today in in honor of uh, confessing our faith? Confess loud and proud our spiritual blessings. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, Amen.